Well, thank you, Nigel, and thank you all uh, for being with us uh, this evening. We're going to read together from Genesis chapter 15, and if you're using the Pew Bibles, you'll actually find it on page 15. So Genesis 15, and on page 15. I'm just going to read the first seven verses at this stage. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children. So a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him. As righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. And if you were present last Sunday evening, you'll recall that David reminded us of a mindset, a mindset that was bent on doing their own thing, of having their own way and of deliberately being disobedient to God. Over these past weeks, we have looked at Adam and Eve. We've looked at creation from Genesis 1. We've moved on to look at the wipeout of all but eight of God's people created at the flood, and the scattering of people at Babel. Yet despite all their selfishness, their conceit, and their sinful arrogance, David reminded us that God still wants to communicate, still wants a relationship with those he has created. And last Sunday evening, we reached chapter 12 of Genesis, where we were introduced to this man, Abram, the one we've just read about. Abram, the man who was called by God to leave everything he knew and owned and to go. To go to a place he didn't know, just go. No idea where, and no idea what for. A call to risk. A call to uncertainty. But a call from God, and what a challenge. But along with that challenge, we noticed a bunch of promises. Verses 2 and 3 of chapter 12, and there they are for you on the screen. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. And off Abraham went in obedience to God's call. But it wasn't too long before Abraham discovered life was anything but blessed. Famine is anything but a blessing. And Abram, in desperation, drifts further and further away from God. 
He lies and compromises and dishonors God's name. And he shows incredible disrespect for his own wife. And by the time we get to chapter 15, Abram has parted company with his nephew Lot. Only to find in chapter 14, he has to go and rescue Lot from the hands of four kings from the north who had swept down on the cities of the south and were returning home with prisoners and the spoils they had taken from the battle. All that's recorded for us in chapter 14. And among those prisoners was his nephew Lot. And Abram takes up the challenge, wins the battle, and rescues Lot. And it was quite a victory for Abram. Here he was with a total of only 318 men, completely routing the armies of the north. And what a victory it was. Yet look at what we read in verse 1 of chapter 15. God says to Abram, don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. What was the significance of those words? Well, you see, Abraham has just returned victorious from a battle. He had no business winning. And Abraham, or Abram knows he had no business defeating the armies of the north. The only reason he knew he had won was because God had helped him. He knew that. That's why he shared a tenth of the spoils of the battle with Melchizedek, who was not just the king of Salem, but Melchizedek, if you read uh, chapter 14 and verse 18, Melchizedek was the priest of God most high. Abram not only shared a tenth of the spoils with God, but he himself refused to take anything, verse 23. Not even a sandal lace to avoid anyone else feeling they had made Abram rich. Abram was determined that God and only God would get the credit for the winning of the battle and the rescue of Lot. But Abram was fearful. He knew only too well that the northern kings would probably want revenge. And God says two things in particular to Abram. First of all, Abram, I'm your shield. I'm your protection. And then he says to him, secondly, Abram, I'm your reward. You're right, Abram. I can make you richer than any king, richer than any spoils you might conquer in battle. And God here visits Abram in a vision. And in that vision, he confirms to Abram his ongoing love for him. But notice what Abram says in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 15. O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my state, my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Now, does that sound like a complaint to you? It certainly does to me. Abram comes back at God sounding just a bit irritated, a bit miffed, and not a little disappointed. You see, about 10 or 15 years back in 
chapter 12 and verse 7, God appeared to Abram and promised to your offspring, I will give this land. And that's been a while back. That's been some time ago. And Abram's getting older. And Sarah, well, Sarah's no spring chicken. And the clock's ticking on. And they've got no children. And in those days, if a man was childless, there were legal processes by which one of their servants could be adopted to make sure the estate didn't fall into somebody else's hands. And Abram has already begun to think of this plan B. Plan A doesn't seem to be terribly hopeful. So Abram begins to consider the plan B scenario. But what does God do? And how does God respond? Well, notice first of all what God doesn't do. God doesn't rebuke Abram for being upset. Nor does God tell Abram he has no right to question what's happening. And the Bible is littered with men and women complaining. Do you remember the psalmist in Psalm 13 and the very first verse? Long enough, God, you've ignored me long enough. And the psalmist felt that God wasn't hearing him. God was ignoring him. And he cries out to God. He complains to God, I've had enough. It's been long enough. Habakkuk, in verse 2 of the very first chapter of Habakkuk, says, How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you don't listen. And that's only two examples. And God doesn't rebuke any of these prayers. I believe he's recorded them for us so that we can see that other men and women, some of them of great faith, have struggled with that faith as well. In Abram's case, Abram needs reassurance, and reassurance is what God gives to him. Verse 4. This man, this man Eliezer, will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. Now, how's that for reassurance? A son coming from your own body. Yes, I know your age, Abram. And what's more, I know Sarah's age as well. And can you picture what's happening here at verse 5? Let's go for a walk outside, Abram. Let's have a wee time of stargazing together. And have a wee look at what's up there in that clear expanse of sky. Go ahead, Abram. And while you're at it, count the stars. And it's here that Abram is given a challenge to trust in God's promises. See those stars, Abram? That's going to be the number of your offspring. Wow. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? Well, Abram did. Verse 6, and please don't miss this verse. It's the single most important verse in this chapter. And in terms of Abram's relationship with God, it is the single most important verse in his life. 
And, you fi- and you'll find argument for it to be cited as the single most important verse in the whole of the Old Testament. Indeed, there are those who would say it's the most important verse in the whole of Scripture. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now, this is not the first time that Abram believed the Lord. If you turn to Hebrews chapter 11, we're reminded there that Abraham exercised faith when he obeyed God by going to a place God didn't identify. That same chapter in Hebrews continues to say that Abraham exercised faith by making his home in that place as a stranger in a foreign country. But this important verse demonstrates that Abraham was counted, accounted, or reckoned with righteousness. Not after he had made some great sacrifice, or not after he had purified himself, or not when he got his act together, but at the moment he simply believed in the Lord. Galatians chapter 3 and verses 6 to 8 are very helpful. Paul helps us to grasp uh, what's really happening here, what's actually taking place in the life of Abram. And there you have it on the screen. Abraham believed God and God counted or reckoned or credited him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. That's how Paul put it in Galatians chapter 3. And faith is simply taking God at his word. The word counted or reckoned means to credit to an account. Now some of you will know this better than me, but in the business world, when debits are balanced by credits, the account is paid up. And in a similar way, when God received Abram's trust as credit, he responded by releasing him from any debit of sin. Abram's faith caused God to write on Abraham's, we'll call it a sin ledger. You know what ledgers are in bookkeeping terms. But it's as if he responded by releasing him from uh, all of the debt of sin and Abram's faith caused God to write on that sin ledger Account paid, paid up, or paid in full. But then read on to verse 8. What's more, the scriptures look forward to this time when God would declare the Gentiles to be righteous because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, All nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. Now do you see the significance of the counting of the stars? All nations, down through all ages, right down to the 30th of January 2011, tonight. We, you and I, can have a relationship with God on the very same basis by taking God at his word and simply believing in his promised son, Jesus Christ. That's what Galatians was trying to teach 
as it looked back on the life of Abraham. I wonder, have you done that? Have you made that personal? Have you, as it were, appropriated that to yourself? Because if you have, then on the strength of God's word, God has credited the righteousness of Christ to your account. In these first seven verses, we've been challenged to trust in God's promises. But now as we read on from verse 8, we're encouraged to rest in God's covenant. Let's go back to scriptures and let's read from verse 8. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I shall gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be as strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and ill-treated four hundred years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. And in these verses, when we come and look at them, and particularly when we look at verse 8, Abraham Abraham says, O Lord God, how will I know that I will possess it? And Abraham's response indicates that he had some doubt about God's promise to give him the land. And even great people of faith exercise their moments of doubt. And living the life of faith is not like starting at the bottom of an escalator that always and continually moves upwards towards heaven. It's more like riding a roller coaster with its hills and its valleys. And I would suggest that most of us tonight feel that. The Christian life has at times been one of being a bit like a roller coaster. One minute you're up there and the next minute you're down in the dip and then you're up again and you're down in the dip. And in verse 6, Abraham was on the mountaintop. He believed. But when we find him in verse 8, he's down in the valley, and he's down in the valley of doubt, and he's doubting. But please again notice that Abraham brought his fears directly to the Lord. He wasn't afraid to tell God how he felt. God knew anyway. 
And God placed within Abraham a desire to believe. And isn't it true that he does the same within us today? And it is important that we look to God, that we bring our situations to God, that we rest in him. Not easy at times, but that's what he wants. And again, instead of rebuking Abram, the Lord gives him some directions. And in verse 9, the Lord said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And if you look at Scripture sometime and just search on those words, you'll find that these are the same clean animals that are used later in the sacrificial system under the law of Moses. And verse 10 tells us that Abraham brought all these to him and cut them in two and led each half opposite the other, but he didn't cut the birds. The birds of prey came down upon the carcasses and Abraham drove them away. And it's significant. In Abraham's day, legal and binding agreements were not drafted by lawyers and then signed as they are today by the parties involved. Instead, legal agreements were made by means of a very graphic ceremony that's just been described for us here, a covenant ceremony. The dividing of an animal sealed the covenant. The animal was cut in half, and the two parties would pass between the halves while repeating the terms of the covenant. By doing so, the two parties were saying, if I fail to fulfill my commitments to this covenant, may I suffer the same fate as this animal. And there's a very interesting verse in Jeremiah chapter 34 that gives us a very poignant example of what's being talked about here. Jeremiah 34, because you have broken the terms of our covenant, I will cut you apart just as you cut apart the calf when you walked between its halves to solemnize your vows. Yes, I will cut you apart whether you are officials of Judah or Jerusalem, court officials, priests or common people, for you have broken your oath. I will give you to your enemies and they will kill you. Your bodies will be food for the vultures and wild animals. Now let's look at verse 12. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep. Now God had already asked Abraham to count the stars, and it seems to me now he asked him to count the sheep. And as Abraham counted sheep, terror and great dreadful darkness fell upon him. It's there. And it's in the verses from 13 forward. And you know, if you look at this, God again makes a sevenfold prophecy concerning the nation of Israel. Or if you like, a sevenfold promise. The promise comes again within this covenant. And there they are. I've just listed them for you on the screen. Those verses tell us that God says to Abram, you will be strangers in another country. That's to be the country of Egypt. You will be slaves in Egypt. Not just strangers, but slaves. You'll be oppressed for 400 years. And then God will judge Egypt. Israel will come out with many possessions. Abram will not live through this period of slavery. And in the fourth generation, or if you like, 400 years, Israel 
will return to the land. And all of these predictions were perfectly fulfilled because as you and I journey on in our essential 100, we learn that God always fulfills what he promises. Some of these things we'll probably come back to. But the promises of God to Abram and to his descendants were not without pain and not without struggle. And many of these promises were painful. Many of these promises seemed a long time in coming. And you're sitting there tonight and say, tell me about it. I felt the pain of this Christian life. I ask why it takes so long for something to happen. And why? Well, I believe a large part of the reason is that so that we will learn that God wants us to wait on him and that God wants us to trust him. And in verse 17 of this chapter 15, we read that a smoking oven and a flaming torch pass between the pieces of animals. And the smoking oven and the flaming torch represent the presence of God. You'll recall that very often in Scripture you have the fire and the cloud, and here you have the smoking oven and the flaming torch, the presence of God. So the Lord himself passed between these pieces of animals in making a covenant with Abram. And in so doing, he himself was duty-bound to fulfill this covenant. And that's referred to in the New Testament. It's a great saying, the, the old is in the new revealed. Very often what you read in the Old Testament, it can be hard to understand. But when you go to the New Testament, and here it is in Hebrews chapter 6, when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. But he had to wait And he had to wait patiently. But I want you to notice here in Genesis 15 and verse 18 that God is not saying, Now, Abram, if you will live up to certain conditions, then you'll have a son. And I will give you the land. He's not saying, Abram, if you obey A, B, C, and D, I'll keep the end of my bargain. He isn't saying, Abram, if you clean up your act, I'll keep my promise. God is saying to Abram, I'm going to give you this land. And I am making a non-conditional promise that you will receive it. It's not up to you. It's not up to your effort, your battle strategy, your initiative or your intelligence. You can get that land because I'm going to make it happen. I am making this agreement I am passing through the pieces. I am making an agreement that you will possess this land. And you know, that's the very heart and character of God. He loves us unconditionally. No matter what we do, say, or think, God is patient and long-suffering. How patient and long-suffering I think we're already seeing as we began in Genesis 1 and we saw how God's goodness was almost thrown back in his face by how people lived and how they wanted to do it their way and do their own thing. And how patient and long-suffering we see as we journey 
on the, in the coming weeks on this Essential 100 series. And in the closing verses of Genesis 15, God gives the geographical boundaries and the names of the nations of the land that he will give to Abram. From the river of Egypt to the Euphrates. And that's a promise, by the way, that he repeats. And again, I love it when we, when we pick up verses like this and we go looking and we find, this time in Deuteronomy 11, every place where you set your foot will be yours. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the Euphrates River to the Mediterranean Sea. No one will be able to stand against you. The Lord your God, as he promised you, will put the terror and fear of you on the whole land wherever you go. And it's quite significant to read that verse in the light of where we've been coming from over these last number of weeks. The borders of this land promised to Abram's descendants appear to coincide with the border of the Garden of Eden. And if you go back to Genesis chapter 2 and read from verses 10 to 14, you'll see that. And the land consists of ten nations of ites. The ites were there. And God will give Abram's descendants victory over these people. He will show himself strong. He will indeed be a shield to them as he promised right back in verse 1 of this particular chapter. After all of these promises and confirmations, what more reassurance could Abram have asked for? And today you and I must ask two questions. We're good at finishing a service with questions. Just two tonight. Can we trust God? And can God be trusted? Can we trust God? And can God be trusted? And if we can answer both of these questions with a yes, then Genesis 15 teaches us that when we trust in God's promises, we can rest in God's covenant. Take those two headings with you tonight for Genesis 15. Trust in God's promises and rest in God's covenant.